Good morning, Ho. Our first ugly Christmas sweater right there. That was awesome. Good to see you guys on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. It's a day where you rejoice that you are not on the road, but you also remember those jeans that fit two weeks ago. You might should have laid off the dressing a little bit, right? Just uh, one of those kind of fun times of the year. Hey, listen, uh, while you're opening your Bibles this morning, let me get you uh, going here. My, there we go. Electronics are good when they work. They're not so good when they don't want to work. Here we go. Uh, we are, we're looking today, in fact, if you would, I want you to find an obscure book. It's called Haggai. So look in the Old Testament, uh, kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. Haggai, we're going to be looking at chapter 1 as we are continuing through our series called Balance with a big question mark at the end of it. Uh, the reason there's a question mark is it, it really in, amazes me in the world. Sometimes church, Christians adopt things that the world says and we think they're Christian. And one of those sayings is, well, everything in moderation, right? We, we hear that a lot, and people think, that's got to be a Christian virtue, right? But can I tell you, God did not love us in moderation, you know? God did not give us his grace in moderation. He gave it as an overflowing and overabundance. And in many ways, he's called us to get a little out of balance also in loving each other and also in our generosity. And that's what this series has been about. But as you're turning there, let me just say uh, this Thanksgiving, I am very thankful to have a beautiful lady sitting next to me on the front row right here because I am not a good single guy and it's good to have my wife back. God bless my home. Amen. Give my wife a hand. Would you do that? We have missed her. I have missed her. And uh, my dog and cat are freaking out like, who's the curly-haired lady you brought home? You know, so they are uh, trying to figure out again what's going on in the field house. But uh, good to have Denise back with us. Hey, uh, real quick, also, we have a new member at Hope Church. And I'm doing this because I will mess up the name totally if I'm not careful. But this weekend, uh, Shay and Victoria Adu. Had a little girl, and get ready, I need like a drum roll. Here's her name, Aluwada Simi. Aluwadera Simi. There you go, Aluwadera Simi. Bet you can't say that twice. She says, in other words, we're going to call her Dara, and her name is, it means God is good to me. Isn't that awesome? You know, those of us that grew up in the States, we were like, you know, Mike, Fred, you know, they're just names we like, you know, but that's cool. God is good to me. So anyway, they're in the hospital today. Everything is good, and we're going to celebrate with them shortly. We've been talking about, um, really, how to be generous and, and what that means to us. And as a pastor, I'm convinced that so often the struggle in most of our lives is not that we don't want to be generous. It's that we have bought into a lot of lies and processes that the world gives to us that keep us from being really generous in our, in our giving and in our, in our generosity towards others and we've talked about this as we talked about how that really generosity flows from our, our hearts. It comes out of a heart of gratefulness. I, I love that song that we just got through singing because I hope you never get over being saved. I hope we never stop that point when, when you think about what Christ did for us, a little tear starts forming, something gets choked up in your heart because it's not a small thing that the God of the universe would send his one and only son that, that would die for us, raised from the grave, that we would have life and life more abundantly. So it comes out of our heart of gratefulness. And we talked about in our second week about how that it's, generosity is more than just numbers. It's more than just uh, understanding finance. It really is about relationship, that, that it flows out of our relationship with the Lord, that we want him involved in every aspect of our life. I've heard it said this way. When we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, it means that we have heaven ahead of us, right? We have eternity of heaven ahead of us. 
But when we make him Lord and we start living according to his principles and his ways, then heaven comes to us here on this earth. We experience his blessing. We experience his power. We experience his life-giving flow in us. So it flows out of that relationship. And then two weeks ago, we talked about how we need to move from being fearful to cheerful. You know, so many of us, if we're not careful, hold tightly to the things of this world because we're afraid we may not have enough. We're afraid we're not going to ever have enough. And, and I, I liken it to a farmer who has seed to sow, but in fear is so much afraid that he might lose the seed. He never sows it into the field, and yet he still expects a crop. Can I tell you, that's not going to work. God has given us all seed to sow, and he says we're to sow it generously because he's promised us uh, that he would care for us and he'd meet all of our needs. Now this morning what I want to talk about is I really want to talk about how to, how to break out of something. How to break out of something. In fact, I was going to teach this Sunday just simply how you, how you get out of debt. I wore black in honor of Black Friday. You know, I was going to go total black. And he says, you need to have a little hope. So I put a little gray in there. But, um, you know, how do you break out of debt? But, I, but as I studied it, what I found is the same principles apply to how do you get out of a dark place in any form or any shape in our lives. How do you get out of a dark place in our thoughts? How do you get out of a dark place in your relationships? How do you get a dark pla- out of a dark place financially? Because a lot of times we have been imprisoned by decisions that we have made or that others have made for us. And can I tell you that God wants us to break free, amen? God wants us to break out. God wants us to be set free from any th- shape or thought of an imprisonment in our lives. The verse I told you to turn there, I figured by now you may have found Haggai, is a verse we've, we've talked about a few times. It kind of paints a picture of what God sees in our lives. Let's, let's read it. It says, now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. I want you to just pay attention to that right there because it all begins right here, doesn't it? It begins in our thinking, how we think about things, how we think about relationships, how we think about people, how we think about finance. He says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm after you went shopping yesterday. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. That describes a lot of people's life, doesn't it? Just like, where did it go? (laughs) You know, you're, you're coming towards the end of the month, you're like, where did it go? We're gonna talk about how to know where it goes and how to keep it straight here, right? Because our thinking, I'm convinced of this, If a a person get their thinking or their attitude right towards money or towards relationships, then everything else gets better. Here's some statistics. 61% of all divorces will tell you that finance is at the root of the reason their, their marriage broke up. Think about that. But yet the Bible says there are five times more scripture on finance and money and things than there are on prayer. Jesus, 16 out of 38 parables were about our stuff because he knew that our stuff can be a God that we worship, an idol that we bow before instead of serving God wholly and completely in him. Listen, guys, I hope today this message brings freedom to your heart. I hope this brings hope to your lives. Won't you pray with me right now? Father, God, as we enter into this teaching, Father, God, let our, let our minds be sharp today, God. Father, uh, God, we, we joke about it, but Lord, just kind of wipe away the effects of this week, oh God. Lord, we've, we've traveled too much, eaten too much, shopped too much, watched too much, God. Let us focus our attention, God, today on you and your word, God. And Lord, let it set us free. God, we need your strength. We need your power. God, there are too many people today in dark places. God, there's too many people today that need to be broken out. And God, we trust that, Lord, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us, Lord. And you said you will quicken us, God. And I believe you're going to do that right now, God, as we open our lives to you. God, I pray this in the mighty name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And everyone said? Everyone said? Come on. We're not going to be that quiet place today, all right? 
You know, when you think about this, this concept of breaking out of a dark place or breaking out financially even, and you think about it in the terms of debt, you know, really, a lot of our problems concerning debt come from bad thinking or even bad modeling. I mean, if you, you think about it, even our own government in the U.S., we are $20 trillion in debt, and we act like it doesn't matter. Welcome to Hope. I just want to encourage you today, make you feel better about life, right? $20 trillion in debt, and we act like it doesn't matter. But you know, honestly, it really began, and I'm going to confess it, it really began with my generation. It really began with my generation. You see, my generation was the first that really embraced credits in a big way. You know, just slap the car down, we'll pay for it someday. I remember as a little kid, my mom, uh, she used to take us in the little town of Katy, Texas, 2,000 people strong. We had one store, it was called Burmell's. And I remember mom would take us to Burmell's and she would take us shopping. And I, I remember even as a kid, when she got through shopping, it did not go home with us. They had this thing where they put it away and you would pay for it so that once you paid it off, then it became yours. And that was called what? See, some of y'all remember this, and I've noticed some stories trying to bring this back. That was kind of how things were done back then. Now we don't do that. We just, we just slap it down, and, and here's the problem. By the time we pay it off, we don't even know where it is. By the time we pay it off, it's worn out. Or by the time we paid it off, we have consumed it. That's why they call it consumer debt, because when you pay it off, you just don't have it anymore. And we got to find a way out of that. we got to seek a way out of that. And to do that, we have to examine really how we got there in the first place. You see, guys, how we enter into a dark place, sometimes we have to understand is the same way we get out of it. And to show you that this morning, I'm going to go to a very familiar story in the Bible, one that, that you probably know by heart, many of you. It's the story of the prodigal son, right? So in Luke's gospel, Luke 15, is where we're going to kind of get the, get the process out of this so we can understand how to break out of a dark place. In Luke 15, beginning verse 11, there was a story about a father who had two sons, right? And the, the, the younger one said to his father one day, and I'll, I'll paraphrase it, he said, Dad, I, I would really be better off if you were dead. Because honestly, if you were dead, I would have your inheritance right now, and I would have plenty of money, and I can go do what I want to do. Now, that's not exactly how it says in the Bible, but that's what he was saying. And so his dad was going to teach his son something. He was going to teach him that, that, it, that it wouldn't make him happy anyway. So verse 13 says, not longer, long after that, the dad had given him his inheritance, the younger son got together all he had, and he set off for a distant country. And there he squandered his wealth in wild living. Now, can I tell you, he probably didn't set off with a mindset, I'm going to squander my wealth in wild living. He didn't wake up and go, hey, Dad, give me my money so I can go blow it, right? No, he just took off, probably didn't plan it, but yet that's where he ended up. And in verse 14, it says, after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. Church, can I tell you guys, there will always be a famine. There will always be something that comes along in our life that points out our need. There will always be something that comes into life that wakes us up. You know, I've been asked so many times, what is it going to take for America to wake up? And we've had so many different opportunities with some of the things we've had to come through our, our system with, with uh, natural disasters and terrorism and then uh, financial disaster. But can I tell you, we are still fat and happy in our consumerism and we forget there is a God who provides everything for us. You see, we got to be careful not to let this miss this point here. God, God had a famine come his way to wake him up because God had a way out for him. Check it out, verse 15. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He did what so many of us do. He tried a natural solution to a spiritual problem. He tried a natural solution when God had a spiritual answer. 
And the word says that the person he hired him to sent him out to fields to feed his pigs. And he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating because no one gave him anything. You know, I've heard people tell me before that life's not fair. You heard that? Can I tell you that God's not fair either, but he's just? And God will let you end up in a pig pen if you choose to go your way. He will let you down the, go down the path of your choosing until you find yourself in a pig pen so that hopefully you will look up and discover that there is a God in heaven that loves you and a God in heaven that's got a better way than the world has to offer. You see, the process of falling into this dark place, whether it be financially or, rela- or, or relationally, is simply this. It always starts when we believe a lie. I want you to write that down this morning. It always starts when we believe a lie. What was the prodigal son's lie? I'll be better off without my family. I'll be better off if I only have more. I'll be better off if I'm on my own. Guys, can I tell you the one weapon the devil has against our lives is the lie? The one thing he can damage our lives with is a lie. John 8, speaks of who Satan is. He said, he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. That's why it is so important in the day we live in to immerse ourselves in the living truth, the word of God. Because how do you know a lie unless you know what the truth is, Right? Because Satan doesn't come in with bald-faced lies. He just kind of works around the edges until he gets us believing things that aren't true. Until our lies find themselves in a dark place. You see, he'll attack your, your marriage, your relationships. He'll say, oh, he'll make you think things like, oh, I'd be better off with him. I, I bet he understands me better than the, than the one I'm married to. I bet she would really get my personality and she might even laugh at my jokes. You know, Satan will always try to convince us that the grass is always greener on the other side, but he will never tell you that the water bill is a whole lot higher on that side also. He never does. He paints that picture. It's going to be better. But can I tell you guys, it's a myth and it's a lie. And we believe some myths and lies when it comes to finance. And we need to come back to some biblical principles. I heard a friend of mine on a podcast the other day referring to this study, so I had to go search it out because I couldn't believe it. And it actually was true. It was called The Day That America Told The Truth. It was done in 1991, and here was the study. It said, what would you do for $10 million? Now, this is going to give you all some lunchtime conversation right here. What would you do for $10 million? 25% of the respondents said they'd they'd abandon their entire family for $10 million. 23% said they'd become a prostitute for a week. I mean, think about this. This is not good, right? 16% said they'd give up their American citizenship for $10 million. 10% said, this is bad, they would withhold testimony that would let a murderer go free. (laughs) That's not good. 7% said they'd kill a total stranger. I hope you're not here today. All right, 7%. And 3%, get this, 3% said they would give their children up for adoption. Some of you after the week are saying, I'd give up for a whole lot less than that, right? You know, it's just crazy. 1991, can you imagine how much worse it is now? If if they did that same survey, you see, we we believe a lie that all we need is a little more. All we need is a little more. If we just had more, everything would be okay. Do a study sometimes on lottery winners. Do do a study. You can Google it and find out what has happened to their lives. Can I tell you something? You don't want to win the lottery. I'm just telling you right now. Why? Because we will get caught up in the lie that now we don't need God. Because, see, that's where it always goes. The lie always leads us to pride. It always leads us to pride. And that's the first step in the process. We believe the lie, it leads us to pride. We are are by and large self-absorbed. It is our nature. And at the end of the day, the Bible calls that pride. 
Listen, guys, at the beginning of the road that leads us into a pit, whether it's relationally, financially, or morally, there's always a seed of pride that makes you think you deserve more, that you deserve better, that you deserve something different than what you have already. And, and that pride leads us to a place, the Bible says, it leads us to a place of destruction, Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. I, I love that verse. The reason I love that verse is the genius of the word of God is God tells us what's going to happen before it happens. He says pride goes before destruction. In other words, God's saying, I don't want you to get into destruction, so notice when you start walking in pride. Notice when you start walking in the things that take you far from God and begin to fight those from the very beginning. Guys, listen, humility, simplicity, contentment, we've talked about those things, to that point where we can say to ourselves, honestly, I am so blessed and I know I don't deserve it. That's when we begin to get that place where pride has no root in us. I'm so blessed and I know I don't deserve it because God is my God and he has given me all that I need for life through the power of his Holy Spirit. You see, if we get this right, the devil cannot tempt us to go down a path that leads to destruction. I don't know who wrote this, but I, I love this saying. It says, the man on his face cannot fall from that position. Isn't that good? The man on his face cannot fall from that position. Guys, we are privileged beyond our imagination. We are privileged beyond our imagination. And if pride, if we don't get a hold of it, it leads to this next step, and it, and it leads towards destruction. And that next step is what I would call undisciplined lives. It begins with pride. I deserve better than this. I, d I deserve more than this. And the next thing you know, we begin to do things that are self-destructing. We begin to do things that are undisciplined in our lives. Listen, guys, we've got to take care of ourselves. This, this is the temple of the Holy Spirit. You realize that, right? This, this is all you got. This is what God has given you on this earth. It's, it's who you are. Listen, we need to take care of it, our mind, our spirit. We need to take care of our relationships. Because if not, here's what we start doing. We start making excuses like, well, I can't help myself. You know, hey, it's just the way I am, right? I, I, I deserve more than this. Come on. I mean, what harm can it do? It's just a little sin. It's just a little on the side. It's just a little sin. Guys, I'll tell you, there's a way that seems right to man, but at the end it leads to what? It leads to death. We've got to be careful of that. Proverbs 14, 12 warns us of that. It may seem right in our own eyes. We can justify it. But can I tell you, our justification always leads us down a dark place. And to get out of that dark place, we've got to back ourselves out. We've got to back ourselves out of the things that got us there to begin with. We've got to set some priorities and say, all right, God, this is how I ended up here. But, Lord, I know I can come out with you. Because if not, if not, if we don't, if we don't back out pride, self-destructive habits, I'll tell you where it leads. Always, it leads to isolation. Can I tell you, you never want to be isolated on this earth. It leads to isolation. It's the sheep on the outside of the herd that the wolf picks off at night. It's not the one in the middle. Isolation. It's a dangerous place to be. We isolate ourselves from those who can help us, from God, from others. We get embarrassed because of, of the fact where we are where we are, and we put on masks, and we kind of like make everybody think we're okay, but deep inside, we have closed ourselves off to everything that God wants to do in us. And we say things like, well, they don't understand me. They just don't get me. You never have said that, have you? They don't get it. You know, I don't need them anyway, because after all, you know, I deserve better than what I have. Isolation. You see, I want to help you out of a dark place this morning. 
But the enemy of our soul, Satan, wants to keep you in that dark place and ultimately destroy you. He wants to take you down a bad thought life to the point where you believe there's no way out. Listen, we've all made bad decisions financially. Can I get a yes to that this morning? We've all made bad decisions. I talk to my kids about this. I'll, I'll put out a litany of dumb things I've done financially, all right? And many of us are there because we just don't know better. Some of you guys that are coming out of college, I mean, you, you're in student debt already, and yet what do you find out there in the quad? MasterCard, welcome you to spend a little more, right? A little bit more visa in your life is all you need, right? And then you come out of college, and the bank comes to you and says, oh, we want to give you more house than you really need. We want to put you in, a more, in a, a more of a car than you really ever will use in your, in your first place, right? And the next thing you know, you are in debt up to your eyeballs. I know when Denise and I, early in our marriage, we had uh, not, not started having children yet. We had decided we were going to wait five years and just kind of uh, explore life a little bit before we have kids. And uh, there was a time where we got into the career and we started, and, and my, my employer, I, I learned later, they call it golden handcuffs. And what golden handcuffs is, is the promise you will always make more. So they want to get you into a bigger mortgage, a nicer car, so that you can't ever leave their employment, right? And I remember we went out and bought a sports car. Acura Integra, one of the first years they ever made. Wishbone suspension. Fuel injection, that baby was fun. We'd go up to Lake Lure, and we'd go up to Bat Cave. There's that curvy road up there. Man, we'd just step on it. We'd let the windows down. Back when I had hair, hair was flying. It was awesome, right? And I never will forget when Britt came along. And I had one of those moments that went, I can't afford the debt I'm in. And I had to humbly go to the Ford dealership, and can I get a witness, buy a Ford Tempo. God help me. And I remember driving it home from the lot that day, and we lived down in South Charlotte, and Sharon Road had this really nice curb that I used to love to hit in that Integra, because you just slide into it, man, it would just hug that road so well. And I come in that curb, and it's a left-hand curb, and I stepped on it, and I hit it, and right when I hit it, that tempo did not act like my Integra, and the next thing you know, I was sitting in the passenger seat, hanging on to the steering wheel, thinking, I'm going to wreck this thing, because it's not a sports car, it's a tempo. <laughs> Took us forever to pay ourselves out of that debt. Guys, we, we do things that don't make a sense. We do things that don't make any sense at all, but we do them anyway, and, and there we are, and we get caught in this trap, and we can't even be generous. And we feel like there's no way out, but can I tell you, as long as God is on the throne, there's always a way out in your life, because he has a way that leads to life, but we have to find his way. You see, what happens is debt, or that dark place in your life relationship that can make you think there's no way out and there's no one to help you. And I, can I tell you guys, that is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Because my Bible tells me the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. In my vernacular, Mike's Bible, speaking to Mike, is the Lord is close to you even when you do stupid things. Okay? Because we all do them. The Lord is close to us. Why? Because he knows we're not perfect. He knows we're going to make bad decisions. But it's in our bad decisions sometimes that we get the attention of God and we recognize that he is still there for us. It doesn't mean we go out and do bad things so that we get God's attention. Paul addressed that when he said, should we continue to sin that grace abounds? No, that's not what I'm saying. But when you find yourself there, recognize God is still for you. God is still with you, and God wants to do something deep inside of you that you never end up in that dark place again. Listen, guys, God will never let you down. He's always going to be there to help you pull through. I love this thought. There is never a place you get to where you are past the point of no return as long as you serve a God who can raise the dead, all right? You're never going to get a point in your life, no matter what it is, where, there's not a, where you're past the point of no return as long as you serve a God that can raise the dead. 
early in our ministry, I, I think I've shared this story years ago, but when our first church out in Chincapin, North Carolina, God bless Eastern Carolina, um, we had a lady in our church named Betty. And Betty was like this powerful woman of God. In fact, I found she could really preach, and I'd have her preach for me every once in a while. And Betty was married to a man named Rudy. And Rudy, if you ever watched uh, Andy Griffith, how many Andy Griffith people? Come on, we are from North Carolina, all right? Do you remember the town drunk? What was his name? Otis. Otis might as well have been named Rudy. Rudy was the town drunk for 25 years. Everybody knew him as the town drunk. It was just a common thing. Bail him out on Saturday morning, he'd be in church on Sunday. Betty one time was preaching on a Wednesday night. She's preaching. And Rudy came in drunk. The power of God hit him. Rudy not only got saved that night, he got sober. And he testified, he goes, this was 10 years before I got there. He said, I don't even desire a drink of alcohol. Can I tell you guys, that's a, that's a miracle of God. He was a town drunk for 25 years. God set him free. Now, guess what Betty had been doing for 25 years? She'd been praying. She'd been believing God. Guys, we are so quick to give up on people. We're so quick to give up on relationships. We're so quick to give up on things. I don't want to give up because my God is a mighty God. Amen? And we got to be people of prayer, trusting God. Here's what happened to this young man that found himself in the pig pen. Verse 17 says, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out. See, he got a hold of a plan. He's got a plan. I'm going to set out, and I'm going to go back to my father, and I'm going to say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your, called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. He had this speech rehearsed, right? So he got up and went to his father. Now, now think about it. He didn't just think about it. I'm, I'm telling you in a second, we're going to lay a path to get out of the dark place. He didn't just think about it. He did something about it. He got up, and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. I love that picture. I can see the father every day standing on the porch looking for the son, waiting for that day when he could run and do something about what his son had done. And I, I see our heavenly father that way to us, because here's what happens when we sin, or we make bad decisions, we do stupid things. Our natural inclination is to isolate ourselves not only from people, but from God. God doesn't want anything to do with me. I'm messed up. God doesn't love me. I'm, I'm broken. I'm damaged goods. Oh, the church doesn't want me. Sometimes people are like, wow, I, I do emails following up with people and I don't see them after two or three weeks. They're like, wow, you're following up. Yeah, because I know what isolation does. And it's one of the things the enemy does in our lives. And as, as a pastor, I do that. As a shepherd, I don't want to see anybody get picked off. But here's the father. He runs to him. He involves himself. Guys, listen, God is waiting to get involved in your mess. That ought to be a sermon title right there. God is waiting to get involved in your mess. Why? Because he loves us. And the father, the son said to his father, he gave that whole speech, Father, I don't deserve to be your son, da 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 And the father said to, him, to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Why? For this son of mine was dead. And is alive again. He was lost and now is found. How do you get out of a dark place? Three things real fast. Number one, acknowledge that you're there in the first place. Okay? Acknowledge that you're there in the first place. Guys, some of us are so private. And we're hurting. We put a facade. 
We, we just kind of go through the motions, and we don't admit that we are there. We don't admit that we are hurting. We don't admit that we are in a dark place. We don't even admit that we did something possibly to even get ourselves there. There is a freedom to say, God, I did it. I bought the Acura when I should have bought the Tempo in the first place, all right? I did it, God. I, I pushed away people that I know should be in my life. God, I did it. I pulled the credit card out when I should have trusted you. Listen, we need to learn to acknowledge where we are because God never expected us to be perfect in the first place, and he knew we can't do this on our own. We just can't. When we think we can, we're back at pride. <laughs> when we think we can, we're right back in the place where we've lost humility before God. But here's what he does want. He wants truth. He wants truth in us. I need you, God. I messed up. Please help me. I love Psalm 51. I've had prayed it so many times in my life. It's a, where David was repenting for his sin of murder and adultery. And he, and he said, have mercy on me, O God. Have mercy on me, O God. But he goes on and he says a very important thing. He says, surely you desire truth. So why is that so important? Why, why do we need to be truth? Why do we need to confess? Because when we hold it in, can I tell you something? Something happens in us that is so destructive. In fact, I'm not going to have you turn there, and you can look this up later, but Psalm 32, it's kind of, you know, how the Bible's written, you have to understand not everything's chronological. Psalm 32 was actually, most scholars believe, was written after Psalm 51. Again, I don't know why. But Psalm 32, David is speaking, and he says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away, though through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me, my strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Guys, it's not enough to have the feeling that we need to change. We just need to be truthful about it and do the second thing, and that is develop a plan of attack. So we need to acknowledge, God, we need you, but then we need to develop a plan of attack. Go do something. And that's the church's role. We're here to help guide you and direct you and teach you and lead you and resource you of how to get out of some of the dark places of life. That's what community groups are about. It's, it's because when we come together, can I guarantee you there is someone who's been down the path you're going down right now? And biblically, the Word of God says that that is God's even plan so that we can learn to strengthen each other. Check this out in 2 Corinthians 1. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. What does that mean? That means if you've been down the path, you need to help someone else that's going down the path, right? If you've been down the path long enough, you can see it. I was out before service today, and we're going to wrap this up in just a minute. And two of our young boys, they were, they were throwing up a toy up against the windows. And I was watching that. I looked up. I'm like, they're going to lose that toy. So I walked over, and I said, hey, guys, can I tell you what's fixing to happen? Oh, yeah, yeah, Pat, what's going to happen, Pastor? I said, one of you is going to throw it up on that window, and it's going to get hung on that ledge. Oh, no, Pastor, that's not going to happen. That, you know, we're, we're better than that. Guess what happened? Next one chunks it up. Guess where it got hung? On the ledge. Why? Because I was a little boy one time. I know those kind of things, right? You can just see it happening. It's the same way. We've been down some paths, help those so they don't go down the same path. That's what he's saying right here. Listen, we provided you a resource which is unbelievable. 
Right now, media, if you're not using that, can I tell you something? You, you may be setting yourself up to go to a dark place. If you are struggling with finances, you need some help in that area, there is some of the best teaching you will ever find on finances on Right Now Media. It'll help you develop a plan. What's the plan, all right? We laid it out. Number one, put God first. Put God first. You don't come out of a, a whole financial unless you're putting God first. You say, but I can't afford to put God first. No, that's how you got there in the first place. You weren't putting God first. You step out by faith. Tithing is a faith test. That's why it's the first thing. It's not if something is left over. No, you give it up front because you're saying, God, I have faith in you that you're going to make this happen, God, and you're going to provide for me what I need. So the first thing is put God first. The second thing is we've got to learn to save for that day because I can guarantee you that day always comes. That day always comes, and that's where a budget comes through. Dave Ramsey, who if I had a dollar for every time I've been stopped in an airport for someone to take a picture with me to say I look like Dave Ramsey, I'd be a wealthy man. But Dave Ramsey has this saying, right? You can probably say it, so you listen to him. What? Debt is bad, saving is good, giving is fun, and stuff is meaningless. That could have been written in the Bible, all right? That's just good stuff right there. So here's the third thing. You've got to make a plan, and you've got to do it. And you've got to do it today. Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of God favor, God's favor. Guys, for some of us, there is a right now moment right in front of you. You have some choices to make. Make a plan. Get out of this hole, whether it's relational, financial, spiritual. Maybe you're in a spiritual hole. Then today, have someone pray for you. Today, open back up your Bible. Today, come before God and say, God, I don't even know how to pray. But God, I want to know you. Help me. You got you to seize the moment. When you seize the moment, it does the last thing. And this is so important. We're going to close right here. And that is you need to humbly ask God for help. You see, humility always puts us in favor with God. Humility always puts us in favor with God. And whenever we come in favor with God, that's when God accelerates his plans in us. That's when God does that which we cannot do. But it comes when we approach him with the humility of heart. Why? James 4, 6 says, but he gives, gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I, I want you to pay very careful attention right now. If I were to ask today, does anybody in this place want God in opposition to them? We'd all go, no. But every time we take things in our own hands and we say, I've got it. I don't need anybody. I don't need the church. I don't need community groups. I don't need anything else. I don't need God. We are literally putting ourselves in a place in opposition to God. He said he opposes the proud. But he gives grace to whom? The humble, right? He gives grace to the humble. So what do you do? You ask God for help. Because here's what I've learned. If you don't humble yourself before God, can I tell you, he'll let you be humbled. <laughs> he'll let you be humbled. It's a bad place to be. If you don't humble yourself before God, he'll let you be humbled. Humility's coming. But it's better that you do it yourself. Because when you humble yourself before God then you cast your cares upon him and guess what he does he shows us how much he cares for us the Bible says when we humble ourselves in the sight of God he will lift us out of that dark place he will lift us out of that dark place relationally he will lift us out of that dark place emotionally he will lift us out of that dark place financially but it comes when we humble ourselves